This is Lisa DeLay, and you are listening to the Spark My Muse podcast. Welcome to Spark My Muse, everyone. Today, my guest is Dan White, Jr. Dan co-planted Axiom Church in Syracuse, New York. With compelling commitments of tight-knit community, locally rooted presence, and life-forming discipleship, Dan is now a strategist with the V3 movement, coaching cohorts from around the country through a nine-month missional system. Dan's written two books, Subterranean, and co-authored the award-winning book, The Church as Movement. J.R. Woodward, uh, who's um, a co-laborer with with me in V3, he's really the director. We both had been starting churches like this. He's much older and started a church 20 years ago with the intentionality of spiritual formation and and tight-knit community um, and locally rooted presence. Um, And we just couldn't find any – we couldn't find any real – there was a lot of theory. There's a lot of mm. uh, idealism around it, but I couldn't find a lot of helps, like real support and training. And so both of us just said, what would it look like to create a space that's unapologetically training and developing and equipping people for this type of presence mm-hmm. um, of being the church? Because we find that a lot of people who explore being the church this way end up um, – either very lonely or mm. failing because um, they're still using old methods um, that they learned in seminary or in, in, in more traditional attractional approaches to being the church and they don't work in this environment. And so, um, so we just started exploring training and the other key value was that we wanted it to be ecumenical and affirming of both men and women uh, leading. So um the ecumenical nature of it is that it's Episcopal, Anabaptist, Reformed, Presbyterian, Pentecostal. Uh, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the the denominations that are part of our cohorts um, was really important because we knew of, that the kingdom of God looks that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then too, we knew that uh, God was both releasing men and women both to to start and 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 break open new space so Mm. those were values for us and so for the first couple years we just really beta tested this Mm. training Mm -hmm. and then for the last five or six years have been aggressively planting around the country Mm. um these new really these new communities people call them different things intentional community missional community uh you know, we give a lot of people space to call it whatever you want to call it, but really, it's just it, it's a it's a discipleship core of people that uh, typically between five to eight people that you gather for intentional spiritual formation around some key competencies of um, following Jesus, and then that core of people slowly cultivate a social space where those who um, are curious about God or have been hurt by the church can belong before they believe. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that social space is about 20 or 30 folks who may not be part of that discipleship core, that, that mm-hmm. uh, um, rule and rhythm of life together that those people share, but mm-hmm. are able to belong uh, to the spiritual conversations and mm-hmm. to um, the work that you do in a neighborhood. Um, and so we, and then, so we've been training on how to do that primarily. Um, so that's, I mean, that's really where we're at right now, just enjoying what God's doing and finding that every, I mean, really the, the people are so fried on the church industrial complex right now that, (laughs) um, every denomination right now is asking the question, um, whether it's because of money issues or because of church plant failures, um, Mm. is there another way? Mm. Um, so that's why I think that there's a lot of people seeking um, this kind of training because they they they're they just don't they they haven't they don't see it happening they haven't really had any experience in living and in, in organizing the ecclesia you know the gathering of people mm-hmm. um, any other way so it's fun to be on the front end of this um, mm-hmm. right now so what is three to explain to people what V three is sure um, I mean, vision the, yeah. Mm-hmm. is the first V, and that's helping people catch a unique vision for gathering in their local context. So we're, we're really resistant to franchising and mm-hmm. to cut-and-paste models and to mimicking uh, mm-hmm. the most successful, fastest-growing churches. You have to catch a unique contextual vision mm-hmm. for what gathering looks like in your place with unique beauty and unique brokenness in your place. Uh, the second is um, voice, and that is um, we really value the fivefold: um, apostle, prophet, shepherd, teacher, and evangelist. Mm-hmm. And that is helping uh, move people uh, to um, embrace their unique voice in the body of Christ and on mission in their place. So. Um, Typically, the church is really structured hierarchical, and there's only one voice that mm-hmm. has um, that people orbit around, and that's the best communicator and the most dynamic personality. Right. Uh, the fivefold in Ephesians really does create this multi-voiced way mm. um, of equipping each other for the work of mission in a place. And so, prophets have a seat at the table, and uh, those who are apostolic, which love to start new things, teachers who love to engage truth, shepherds who love you know, soul care, um, and evangelists who love to create space for uh, others to belong that are outside. Mm. Um, and so um, we really do a lot of work in creating what we, we call polycentric mm. um, space. Um, it's not a flat environment. It's not a hierarchical environment. It's a place of mutual submission um, mm-hmm. where we, uh, we seek to value each other's voice, but then also um, grow in maturity and submitting to one another. And so the third V is viral, and that is understanding that um, the flourishing of the church is not to go up higher, but to multiply to, mm-hmm. for multiplication. So mm-hmm. we think a lot of the abuses uh, in the church are because we have only an imagination for unilateral growth upward, mm-hmm. um, which is um, bigger buildings, uh, mm-hmm. more, 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 more personality, more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is just is going upwards. The Tower of Babel, if that can 
kind of fit the the <laughs> metaphor. Mm -hmm. Viral is to just continue to discern what it looks like to break open new space and new neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So whenever we start to flourish, uh, we coach uh, churches and planters that when they get to about 30 or 40, mm -hmm. um, to start discerning um, uh, how to release people for another, a new work in an adjacent neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, rather than just trying to build steam and, mm -hmm. and get as much numerical growth as possible. So mm -hmm. those three V's uh, guide our, give, um, create an ethos mm -hmm. uh, for a V3 church. Within that, there's so much freedom for, you know, for um, what the, the worship style, the, um, so we have churches that use that framework, but they're more high church. And we mm -hmm. have churches that are are more uh, passionate about a spontaneity and modern worship. And they 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 can you know that expression comes out. But this 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 ecclesiology that we're training on those three V's really do help uh, create a more nimble and adaptive mm -hmm. um, and lower more grassroots approach to being the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and well, what's your intentional? You have Axiom, is that the one you're involved with? And and you have um, Salt City Cafe is something you're doing. I don't know how they're related, but maybe you can. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I mean, we, well, I planted uh, Axiom with a team of people almost 10 years ago. I'm actually not on staff any longer. I just stepped off staff um, mm -hmm. four months ago. So I handed, handed off uh, leadership to um, a team of people. Mm -hmm. um, but we started as a discipleship group uh, just I think it was eight of us, and we spent a, a, a ten months um, developing a rule and rhythm of life um, around some core things we felt like Jesus is modeling, um, and we wanted to to grow together in, um, and then listening to the Spirit and responding, and and then fast forward ten years, and we've we've launched two communities, but our um, Salt City Coffee, uh, which is a coffee shop is is part of a neighborhood space we bought a old uh old victorian building um it's just uh in syracuse we have a lot of these mm -hmm. um they're run down um and we renovated it and 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 turned it into a neighborhood space mm -hmm. where uh nonprofits uh work as well as there's a coffee shop on the bottom floor we do work with refugees in this space and uh, we also gather for worship um, every other Sunday as two communities come together as one mm -hmm. in that space. And so it's it's really a hub of neighborhood activity. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't really want to own a building for church. Uh, we wanted to open op own a building for um, what we sensed God was doing in our neighborhood. So it's kind of the convergence mm -hmm. of, of a lot of our uh, neighboring mm -hmm. um so I'm, I'm actually at this point, so I've handed off uh, leadership to our leading community, which is our elders, and they're leading Axiom. And I've moved really full time into V3, and that's mm. um, my fresh calling right now to just mm. help coach and consult and care for people around the country who are trying to start communities this way. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's hard, mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's, it's certainly not the sexiest and most... <laughs> Uh, it's not the easiest path mm. to walk, and so I've I've learned a lot, and uh, through failure and some fruitfulness that I you know wanted to pass on. So that's what mm. I'm I'm doing right now. Mm. 
I know that you're coming to Philly. That's not that far from me for the yeah. Praxis Gathering. Now you're going to be you're going to be doing stuff at the Praxis Gathering. Do you want to talk about what you're doing and what that's all about? I know that's coming at September 26th yeah. or 28th. I might have to show up to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you'd love it, Lisa. It's um, it's our, our it's our national get V3. Um, over the years, we've just had we've had 200 or so church plants around the country, and we started realizing we need a space to come together uh, to um, to encourage in some sense we need a space to to uh, to just mutually encourage each other and continue to realize we're not alone uh, so the praxis gathering uh, is in Philly and um, every year we have a new theme but this year is life together which is really riffing off of Diedrich Bonhoeffer's book life mm -hmm. together yeah. and um, it's a uh, Christine Pohl, who is a real, I mean, a serious hero for me, who wrote um, multiple books on community, um, living in community. She wrote, she wrote making, she wrote a book called Making Room, um, um, is a featured speaker. But there's, there's, it's really a space where we, we have a lot of workshops, but there's just a lot of dining space for. Um, uh, connecting and nurturing one another and reflecting. And so we, we chose Philly, uh, primarily because, um, we love the Northeast and we wanted to be in, in a, a little more blue collar city. And so, um, so that, that happens every year. And on the front end and back end, a lot of people don't know this. We have, uh, our, these thick training intensives, um, that we kind of sandwich that, public gathering with and so our church planners that are starting their new cohort we have every year we have about 50 new practitioners entering in the cohort they will get there two days early for training and then the public you know then praxis mm -hmm. will happen and it's just a praxis allows people from the outside to kind of explore what god is doing um i mean it's a small space there's probably about 300 or so folks that'll attend which isn't big in the in in the scheme of conferences but mm -hmm. There is something, um, there is a groundswell happening that's quiet um, mm -hmm. and, and rooted, and so we get to see that happen mm -hmm. um, a bit at Praxis. Well, let's talk about your book, Love Over Fear, Facing Monsters, Befriending Enemies, and Healing Our Polarized World. Now, this is the book that has to come just in time to help us out <laughs> Uh, because it's, right. you know, I see you on Twitter, uh, as like a voice of reason. And I, that's why I followed you <laughs> because I feel like I needed to clean up my feed. <laughs> I tried, don't we, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to put things out on Twitter that they'll help build bridges. that will bring something yes. better to Twitter. And, um, and you've been one of those, thankfully, mm. like a more of a guiding light, but, um, so you needed to write this book, uh, and it was it was due, it was finally uh, finally came on the scene for us. But you you talk mm. about fear separating us and creating false choices and categories yeah. as separators. So maybe you can talk about. I mean, this this book does cover a ton of things, but um, yeah. what do you hope the main drive of this book is for people? Yeah, the the attempt. To with the book was to at least create some some pathway beyond the um, only options we, we mm -hmm. seem to be offered right now culturally and I think mm -hmm. our own human nature mm -hmm. um, 
defers to, which is uh, I use in the book uh, attack or avoid, mm-hmm. um, which is just riffing off of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. But um, in the face of things that we fear that are unfamiliar to us or or of, are offensive to us, mm-hmm. our amygdala, um, the primal part of our brain, fires at us only two options. We have to attack it. Um, we have to ruin it with verbal grenades or even with, with physical violence. Or we avoid, and it tells us to run and to get away from it. Um, And this is what we're seeing with some recent stats. The Pew Research Report has put out that 72% of progressives only have progressive friends and 78% Mm -hmm. of conservatives only have conservative friends. This phenomenon is called siloing. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's that's the the avoidance that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And... This is what the culture war um, offers to us, these, only these two options. And, and they're very tribal options. Mm-hmm. Um, the, this us and them that we are being um, uh, bullied into. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to envision it as a boxing ring. Um, and we're told, you're told, I'm told, that you only you either get in the ring and you take a beating or you offer a beating. And... Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't any other option, um, and I, I have seen that and felt that for a while, mm-hmm. and have actually been afraid in some way myself. Have have mm-hmm. cowered to fear, and and um, because I didn't want to be. Um, I share this a lot that as a progressive, uh, if you are a progressive, to move towards your conservative brothers or sisters with any kind of affection, is looked at as com- as complicity. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're conservative and you move towards progressives with any kind of affection um, in seeking understanding, you're looked at as someone who's compromising the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and these labels, these false choices um, are, are pressed upon us. And, and then they do, what they, we end up doing is just hunkering back into our us and them categories and back into our tribal identities. Mm-hmm. We're really, really afraid um, of moving out, of being uh, um, ostracized from our mm-hmm. tribal identity, which is being a progressive or a conservative. We we we're that's pro- that's probably the the fiercest force mm. that causes us not to move towards each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that you know, all that um, research in in kind of uh, all that I'm sharing there really was sparked um, from uh, my local church um, in a specific story that um, I didn't really know how to respond to, honestly. Mm -hmm. It was back during the um, Romney and Obama election, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, which sounds like tiddlywinks compared to... (laughs) (laughs) It was just the warm-up. Right, right. Back then I thought, holy crap, we're not going to survive this, but um, (laughs) I had a a dear woman who I loved come to me uh, after church one Sunday and say, um, Dan, I don't think I can stay here at our church knowing that there are people with such liberal beliefs. Mm. I don't feel like I can be myself. I don't feel safe. I feel judged all the time. Mm. I have to leave. Um, I communicate, I try to communicate safety to her, that she belonged, that her mm-hmm. voice is valued. Um, but she left anyways. And then two fast forward two weeks, um, and another, 
uh, and this time a couple came to me with the same intensity, but from the opposite perspective. Mm. They said, Dan, I don't think we can stay at this church, knowing there are such conservative people here mm. who hold such oppressive beliefs. We don't feel like we can be ourselves. Mm. And they left. Mm. And that created a massive disruption. And mm. for me, as a pastor, leader, I didn't, I didn't have answers for mm -hmm. This question, can we actually share table fellowship together? Mm -hmm. Can we coexist together? Mm -hmm. um, at that point, honestly, these people chose to separate because of their differences rather than to move towards one another. And mm -hmm. um, so that sparked this exploration into um, what we were talking about earlier, this culture war. Can, can, can Jesus followers choose to resist the polarizing dynamics that are pressed upon us. That's um, happening in the, the world of Christianity, and it's happening all over with all the different sorts of people. And I think the algorithms are, are kind of ramping that up even more, depending on yes. if you're online, how much you're online. Um, yes. Yeah, you you spend you talk you're talking science in the first part, and you're talking about how mm. fear polarizes us, um, kind of uh, setting it up to show, you know, how disruptive and how harmful this is, and also how unchristian it is, how unlike right. Jesus it is, right? The, right. The, the, right. What should really matter if we want to be following Jesus, um, how unlike him we're going to be, if we're mm. deciding, I'm on this side and you're on that side. Um, yes. And so, uh, talk a little bit about um, frenemies and how Jesus would encounter them. <laughs> what is a yeah. frenemy? What what would Jesus uh, have to say about <laughs> even if he would use the word? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fun word. Um, <laughs> you 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 touched on the core conviction is that um, is that this this isn't just an issue of policy and politics, um, this is really whether we want to imitate Jesus. And um, I, I, my, my suspicion is that we haven't, we have a lot of ideas about Jesus, where mm. we're, we have a lot of um, abstract concepts around Christ, but we haven't really done a close reading on how Jesus engages um, enemies. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the the fascinating part of this is that the, the more that I, I mean, w because of that story I shared earlier, I'm I just went back to the Gospels and like, is there any help here? And the deeper I dove and the more socio historical research I did around what Jesus was doing, um, I was fa I became fascinated with how politically diverse the first disciples were. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's actually, right. it, it's, if we, because, our, because of our, you know, because we're 2000 years removed from the text, mm -hmm. we don't really understand what political factions were happening mm -hmm. back then, but they were all represented in the first um, selection of the disciples. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I don't, people can read the book to kind of get into that, but mm -hmm. there really was in the first disciples, the pen, the continuum of, uh, um, uh, people who uh, were, would be considered conservative, uh, um, 
capitalists who valued the 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 rich over the poor, mm-hmm. um, and then there were also the the zealots and even further the Sakari party, which people aren't familiar with often, is that believed in uh, violence to overthrow the oppressor mm-hmm. um, for the sake of social justice, and this was mm-hmm. all within Jesus' small mashup of a discipleship group, <laughs> and um, in what's happening early on is that Jesus is modeling this um, this communal space where he is going to hold the space for them to um, deal with their mutual hatred for one another. And he is going to offer them a third option than just um, choosing a side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my... What I see there is that Jesus, the, the, I mean, the, 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 the frenemy issue is that uh, fundamentally, just to kind of whittle it down, is that we're just not near each other. Mm-hmm. Um, our social media interactions are not interpersonal presence. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they are, um, for as much as I love Twitter and I love Facebook, and I, um, they are very detached. Um, they're not engaging all five of our senses. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus moved towards enemies primarily through the act of making meals and eating meals, um, physically embodied presence. And mm-hmm. Jesus was indiscriminate with who he would eat a meal with. He mm-hmm. ate with Pharisees and he ate with prostitutes and he ate with uh, zealots and he ate with he ate with those advocating for uh, the Roman Empire. I mean, he mm-hmm. he uh, his meal practices would were a political statement in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, this is what I, I'm, I find that I, uh, the conversation is not going to often it's, it's off the conversation between the left and the right is often about rhetoric and whose, whose worldview does more harm in the world. Mm. Um, and, there's very little asking how do we actually move into community with one another so we can um, seek uh, to build um, heal to move towards healing to seek to understand each other and to find a, a new way of existing with each other that's mm-hmm. right now we're not interested in that I think we're more interested in winning um, mm-hmm. the argument mm-hmm. um, and I don't see much healing happening there so um, when we look at Jesus, uh, the short of it, Lisa, is that Jesus modeled interpersonal presence with his enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I, th- I think that step in whatever's to come. Well, that makes sense why he would need so much quiet time in the morning and why he'd be like, how long yeah. do I have to put up with you? <laughs> <laughs> You're on my yeah. last nerve. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I I don't think it's beyond Jesus for him to be irritated, you know, um, and exhausted yeah. by by living in that space. Yeah, um, that's really good. It's funny, but on page seventy four, and it relates to what we're just speaking about too, in a in a real, you could say, incarnational way, in a real. Um, mm-hmm. With working with the senses, 174, you talk about being at the table and you talk about beholding other and bearing witness. I would love for you to flesh that out a little more uh, in depth for people to understand. Sure. Um, Once we find ourselves 
at the table with someone we perceive as an enemy. Um, now, I guess I have to unpack that just a bit because the mm. the term enemy, a lot of people don't think they have enemies or mm. that term seems too strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but anybody, any, anybody whose choices or beliefs exceptionally repel us. Mm. Um, we can we can feel irritation and disgust um, uh, emotionally and and intuitively and and then tell ourselves that someone's not an enemy as a way to, to be delusional about the way mm. we feel. Mm. Um, and so my part of the, part of the first half of the book is just helping us uh, come to terms with how we actually view each other. Mm. We do see each other as monsters. Um, and we want to be, we want, we're, you know, adults are smart enough to try to, to, to not say that out loud, mm. but that's really the way that we are engaging one another. And so the first step is to be honest and forthright um, and vulnerable about how you actually feel about um, others' choices and beliefs and stances and that it's actually drawing you into some level of hatred towards them mm. once you once you can identify that and say I, you know i want to start bringing practices into my life that aren't just uh attack or avoid um i use the, the third a in the book is affection i want to move towards them mm. with affection um you're, you're going to collide at the table mm. um uh i mean sh- i have some practices around social media but to me the ultimate collision point is and 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 supernatural um, moment of uh, of affection is what happens at the table, and there you'll find <laughs> you don't really know what to do. Mm. Uh, you don't really know how to engage. Mm. Um, we don't. We haven't learned the muscles of enemy love. Mm. Um, and the two the two muscles that I talk about in that section you're talking about is beholding others and bearing witness and. Um, that, that it's in some sense it's a little bit reductionistic to just talk about beholding and bearing witness, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's the best handholds to help give new mindfulness to what you're doing at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but beholding others is rather than just seeing um, to behold somebody is to um, is to begin to to uh, see the image of God in another, mm-hmm. to behold. Mm-hmm. Jesus did this consistently in his ministry with, with rather than just seeing the outward of uh, that this person is blind or this person is a Pharisee or mm-hmm. this person is uh, rich or this person is poor, you know, identifying the labels that culture puts on us, Jesus was able to behold, um, not just see. And this is supernatural vision. Uh, this is having the eyes of God, um, where we um, look for the humanity in another. Mm-hmm. Um, beholding is eyes of compassion. Um, I love the word compassion because it's made up of two words, co and passion. Co means both, um, and passion means suffering. When I sit at the table with someone who um, I loathe, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> or I'm repelled by, or have some level of disgust because of what they've done or what who they voted for, um, I have to begin to move towards them with compassion. That 
which is that we both are suffering. All of us are suffering. I don't care if it's, you know, when, when, when I'm meeting with someone who's voted for Trump, and I have, a, I have significant issues with that vote. I can look at them and say they are not suffering, they are the oppressor, they are in the wrong. But to begin to behold someone is to look at their humanity and, and realize that we're both suffering um, in different ways, mm -hmm. um, on different levels. Certainly not all suffering is the same. Um, but this is a point of commonality that we have. And Jesus was able to have this kind of eyesight at the table. And so my first act of retraining my senses and helping others retrain is, is learn new practices of beholding. Um, and uh, it's counterintuitive to behold someone that you don't like or you feel like is an enemy or you feel like is doing harm. Mm. Um, the first muscle we have is to, is to bash them <laughs> with, with rhetoric, uh, with arguments, um, um, with proofs that they are, they, are, um, they are the evil ones and we are the goodies and they are the baddies, you know, to, to start moving into the either-or categories. Um, so bearing, beholding another is um, a really important practice at the table. There, there's so much in the book about mm -hmm. how to do that. But then the second one is bearing witness to the kingdom. Um, and Jesus did this in such subversive and uh, in just magical ways where he used story. He, he used um, – um, um, inquisitive questions to bear witness to that God's kingdom was present at, in those encounters. Mm. Most of us think that um, uh, in the sacred-secular divide that God is in the sacred and not in the secular or mm -hmm. that the kingdom is only in the, the moments where um, where truth is proclaimed or mm. truth, is, you know, um, so um, I share in the book these moments of being able to bear witness, which is actually to give words to um, that God's presence is here right now. Mm -hmm. So in, in someone that I see as an enemy uh, or feel, you know, feel polarized against, how do I bear witness that the kingdom of God is actually in them or amongst us at that moment? Mm -hmm. um, this is calling out beauty and goodness um, affirming uh, the divine in somebody, these these kind of, these these awkward ways that we identify that in real time um, actually uh, disrupt the polarizing dynamic. Mm -hmm. Every time that I do them, Lisa, it is it is awkward, but it is shock it 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 is shocking how mm. uh, how 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 our spirits are longing. Mm -hmm for this kind of relational exchanges. And mm -hmm. so sometimes Jesus bear witness to the kingdom by identifying brokenness. So, mm -hmm. you know, when, when uh, Jesus tells stories that are disruptive around how the Pharisees are treating others, he bears witness to the kingdom by, by telling a parable that indicts them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, identifying truth in a subversive, telling it slant kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had to do that as well, that, you know, I have, a, um, I have a story in the book about having a barbecue with one of my neighbors, and uh, he, no, actually wasn't with my neighbor, that's a different story. He, this was with someone who wasn't from my neighborhood, and we were having a barbecue, and he hears, a, he hears the police go by, 
um, hears the sirens, and he just, in a moment of kind of irritation, says, "Man, if, if if man, you must hate living down here with all these hoodlums who are ruining the neighborhood." Mm. Oh, and I, you know, I just couldn't believe he said that. But mm. rather than just coming back at him with "How dare you?" and I told a story of beauty around how, quote unquote these hoodlums are doing beautiful things in our neighborhood. <laughs> and I just told the story of someone that was doing profound work. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he heard that story, he felt, uh, he, he, he felt a bit humiliated um, that he would make that judgment. And mm-hmm. um, so, and Jesus did this. He told stories as a way to get out these, these angers and judgments that people mm-hmm. carry. And so, I think that we have to train ourselves on how to behold and bear witness, behold others and bear witness at the, the actual table, in order to fashion a new possibility where the spirit can do something, mm-hmm. rather than this only imagination we have, which is to attack someone with words or to avoid them and not have table fellowship altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and in in telling the story, you you break open the kingdom where it hasn't happened in that person's yes. heart yet because he doesn't your friend didn't understand what god is already doing there exactly um, exactly lisa yeah in in chapter eight i know we don't we're running out of time a little bit so i'll just mention okay. some of the things um compassionate curiosity is is what you talk about about how we um begin to um allow love to succeed over fear and you talk about mm. four Four ways this happens, be indistinct, be interpersonal, using all five senses, which I thought this was just a fantastic point on page 194, um, be inquisitive, be interested. Um, and I know you can't cover all, you can't cover all of those as we sure. speak. Uh, there's plenty in this book to, to chew on. And, and this would, this is the kind of book I think you, you can read over a couple times and then you can really dig into pieces of it that are the really apropos. Yeah. Um, but Maybe you can pick out something you'd like to say about that chapter. Sure. Well, I, the, my own learning, kind of, uh, kind of falling into this um, backwards, <laughs> was that I, I didn't really know how to relate with. I didn't really know how to relate with people that were unlike me, mm-hmm. um, and I found fo- I found that my own. Um, my own default was that I only felt safe with people that I had affinity with mm-hmm. or had, I, or I could size up. I had enough in common with, mm. um, and there had, there had, there had to be another way. And so I started discerning and listening and recording, uh, um, another pathway, mm. um, and that's, you know, I called that the compassionate curiosity pathway. And mm. um, there's four steps there. But the 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 first step, the baby step, if we're going to look at it as just is helping um, train somebody or develop somebody to think, OK, what's the first uh, pinky toe that you need to dip <laughs> in the water? And that's first being interested. Mm. Um, it's funny how uninterested we are in each other. Mm. Um and, and this is the way that I think the culture war and polarization has colonized us, that if you if I size if I size you up as a progressive 
or I size you up as a conservative, or I size you up as uh, pro-LGBTQ, or I size you up as um, wanting to have a, a, a border wall um, between us and Mexico. I don't. I think I already know what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I fill in all the gaps, and I have decided I know what you're about. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, I don't need to be interested in you anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is what's happening is in a culture war and polarization, it's shutting down the first step of being interested. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first step is to be interested. And I talk about what gets in the way of being interested. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it's our own desires to be interesting to people rather mm-hmm. than to be interested in in other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like I want to be seen uh, for who I am and mm-hmm. what makes me special and what I'm about and mm-hmm. the stands that I take more than I actually want to see who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first step. The second one is being inquisitive, which is how to start collecting um, a collateral of questions to ask people. Mm-hmm. I find that we're horrible question askers. And Jesus asked more questions than he gave answers in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. He, asked, he asked 364 questions. I mean, just mm-hmm. constantly was asking questions. And I don't think this is because God in Christ didn't know. I think he was genuinely trying to unlock the heart. Mm-hmm. And being inquisitive rather than uh, um, seeking to offer um um, a response to what we hear, see in somebody else mm. is really a new muscle. Um, I find that most of our listening is that we're listening for a gap in the silence to interject our own story mm-hmm. or to um, or to even offer a passive aggressive correction to what we hear. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so helping people be inquisitive is the next step and then being interpersonal. And this is where the five senses come in how to actually engage uh, our five senses, how to move beyond um, um, uh, detached engagement to mm-hmm. a very intimate place of vulnerability. Um, the fourth step is the most controversial one, and I get a lot of heat <laughs> over this one, and I understand why, um, is being indistinct. Mm-hmm. Um, in our culture, t- being distinct is the most important thing, which is, identifying where you stand and identifying uh, and making sure the other knows where you stand. Mm. Um, I don't see that as a primary value in the work of Jesus, to be honest. Mm. Um, (laughs) That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't hold opinions or hold truth Mm. or didn't, or that he didn't know where he stood. I just don't see it. That is his primary value in, in relational engagement. Mm. I actually see uh, Jesus creating a lot of space for this subversive ambiguity mm-hmm. where he could um, offer new understanding without getting caught in the war of words. Um, so I when you when you when you can embrace being indistinct, um, I, as people have to read the book to really understand mm-hmm. what I mean by this more, but you're in some sense saying, I'm secure enough in the Father and the son and the spirit Mm -hmm. to not have to put my stake in the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I'm already loved. I'm already seen. I don't need to be seen by you. Um, Mm. This, that's obviously um, creates questions. (laughs) Dan is so un-American. How dare you? I know. Well, I mean, I I comically talk about in the book (laughs) that if Jesus was on cable news, uh, he'd, 
he'd be an ir- people would hate having he wouldn't be asked back because <laughs> they would try to pin him down and he would tell parables yeah and then people like the disciples do in the gospels <laughs> they would pull him aside and say jesus you're not being plain enough no one's understanding what you're saying yeah. where's the sound bite jesus come on where's the sound bite um now is there a time there is certainly a time where jesus says you're you brood of vipers or mm-hmm. you're whitewashed tombs mm-hmm. you know these oh man these laser these <laughs> laser tongued um call outs i do think there's a space for that i don't think that's our first response um, I think it's actually the last thing that we should reach for in our arsenal. Um, Jesus shared more meals with Pharisees than he did called them out in these in these ways. And so mm-hmm. it's a it's a bit of a both and, but I do mm-hmm. think it's more primary secondary. And mm-hmm. so I think right now, because of desperation and how exhausted mm-hmm. we are, and because of our social media, technological way of interacting with each other it's the first way we're, we're mm-hmm. using yeah. we're using distinction mm-hmm. as in who you are and who i am and how wrong you are is our first reaction mm-hmm. rather than our last reaction mm-hmm. um and that's a shame because it's not it's not creating space for healing mm-hmm. and 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 this is what i actually uh, this is what i often ask are we more concerned about transformation or are we more concerned about winning mm-hmm. um the path of transformation is different than the path of winning mm-hmm. um so i don't know if that yeah. helps a little bit in those, yeah. four, those four steps yeah and the path of being right or feeling that you're right and i i think That's... jesus was most distinctive and, and pointed but it not on his own behalf it was on somebody yeah. else's behalf yes and so That's, that's yeah, and when he had chances to clear things up, he usually wouldn't say anything. Or he would ask a question. <laughs> I know. So slippery. Know. Yeah, like yeah. can't you just answer it? Are you the are you the son of God? He's like, It's what you said. <laughs> right, right. It's a bit frustrating, honestly. And this is I, I think it's because Jesus uh has a different strategy for engaging mm. these strongholds mm. uh than we do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. It's it's the the person who could have had the most ego has none. <laughs> so, Ooh. you know, yeah, that's um, well said. Uh. But this has been great. And the time just flew. So now, now I'm all upset. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want you to come back on when you get the chance and we could go over more either of this book or, or whatever it is you're into. I hope we can really stay in touch. Oh, I'd love to, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really grateful. Uh, I love it when someone has picked at the end of the book because <laughs> I never get questions about any of the, that stuff. It's always the front stuff. So mm-hmm. I can tell that you, you yourself are engaging and, 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 and certainly seeking to live in love rather than fear. So mm-hmm. uh, this has been fun. Thank you.